Welcome to The Inside. After months of anticipation, this was the week the cinema business saw indicators of just how strong 2023 might be. So far this year, U.S. cinemas have sold more than $3.5 billion in tickets. That's a 27% increase over 2022. Meanwhile, back in Hollywood, the writer's strike has begun to affect large and small businesses alike, from catering to casting directors. With the Screen Actors Guild likely to follow and go out on strike as well, insiders are speculating it could be October before the pain of empty sound stages is too much for negotiators to ignore. I'm Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and on a happier note, it's the time of year many of the major TV series are singled out for outstanding achievement in the creative arts. So we've invited a very special guest today to take us behind the camera for a look at how cinematographers deliver the stunning images that make up award-winning movies and episodic TV series. Paula Idobro was born in Mexico City. She attended film school in London and specialized in cinematography at the American Film Institute. Today, she's one of the busiest and most acclaimed cinematographers in our industry. An Emmy Award nominee, her visual style has contributed to series including Fargo, Pam and Tommy, Barry, and the feature film Coda, which won three Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Most recently, she's worked on the creative team for the Hulu series, Welcome to Chippendales. She joins us today from Los Angeles. Welcome, Paula Idobro. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you, Paula, and I know we're catching you between a very busy schedule between projects. So thank you for making the time for us. When you, when you approach a project, is there something you are looking for that makes you want to, to take on a project? I tend to respond more emotionally rather than from a technical standpoint. Like it excites me more if I feel for the story and if I feel for the characters. And also if it's a director that's exciting or someone that I feel is a great leader or inspiring, those are the things that I look more for. How early on in a project are you involved? When when do your conversations start with, I assume, the director and the producers? I mean, I try to be involved as early as possible and to have the time to look at the script and to watch films together and, and to look at photographs and have the time to really dive into the script and go to the locations and imagine what the film could look like. Well, I watched, uh, I binge watched some of your programs in the last few days, and I watched Coda, one of the most beautiful, sweet films that tugs at you emotionally when you watch it. And then uh, Welcome to Chippendales, which is a kind of a dark take on the, the 1980s, a very gritty series, and enjoyed them, but what different, different styles. Welcome to Chippendales was created by Robert Siegel, who you also worked with on Pam and Tommy. How does the previous experience of working with someone help you, uh, how, inform you on, on, uh, on taking on a project like this one? I mean, there's, it's always like a completely different experience working with new people and new projects and new crew. And there's always like an element of magic and unexpectedness. And when you interview for a project, you have a, an idea of what, it could look like, but then you get informed by what the director wants and the locations. And and it's always a process finding what the show truly is. Much of uh, Chippendales takes place in a club, the uh, the famous club in Los Angeles. 
which was replicated in detail on a soundstage. Uh, did you shoot the performances uh, and club in a certain way to reflect the 1980s? What, what were you looking to capture in the way you shot the progression of the beginning of the club uh, through the series? So we, we shot primarily on Zooms and we wanted to sort of be slightly sexier and allow for long takes and allow the actors to have freedom of movement. And also because the set was quite beautiful and gave us enough space. And because Matt Shackman is such a great director that really knows mise-en-scene. And we, we were just trying to be fluid and discover things. You mentioned Matt, who's been on this program. Matt told us that he enjoys previs and what he said was kind of peeling back the onion, but he, but he has a specific set of ideas. What was it like to work with him and, and how is he different maybe than other directors? He grew up on, on a stage. He was a child actor. He's been a, he's been in the business his whole life. Tell us about that process. He's really inspiring and, and he's amazing to watch with actors. I think they fully trust him and he has very clear ideas and, and, sort of, in, yeah, I guess inspires them to do interesting blocking. And I think, I mean, on, on television, you really don't want people to just stand and talk to each other and not move. Like you, you want to like use the space. And, and I think he's really great with that. And, and he is very prepared as well, as far as the shots that he wants and what he's looking for, but he's also a great collaborator. The tone and the feel for Chippendales was grittier. It was more, the, the, the word or the vibe I, I had was a little more decadent. It was 1980s Los Angeles. And what were you trying to capture with that feel for Chippendales? To me, that world was super interesting. And, and the character, the main character, like he's quite complex because he's an immigrant, but he's also racist and he's like an entrepreneur, but he's also a criminal. And there was always lots of layers to the show. and. I mean, also the dancing was quite visual and gritty and and sort of the club with all the lights. Like there was a lot to hold on to as far as inspiration. It just had a feel of Los Angeles and what it might have been like in the 1980s in, in a nightclub. When you're working with Matt Shackman, is there something all directors bring to a project that you're working on or are they all completely different? No, I mean, I think I think everyone is completely different. And it's interesting when, like, for example, Craig Gillespie's... Yes, director of Pam and Tommy. He's very camera savvy. And, and I think they elevate your work when they're pushing you to, to do even better. And instead of, like, you figuring out absolutely everything. When you sit down with a director for the first time, what is that conversation? What kind of questions are you asking the director and what kinds of ideas are they exploring with you? I mean, I think um, when you interview for a project before you even get the job, you have to get a sense whether they would enjoy working with you or you would enjoy working with them and whether you share a vision or or whether maybe it's not your vision, but their ideas are something that you want to grasp and learn and develop, like whether you're going to enjoy the process of creating something together. When that conversation is beginning, I would imagine you get a script, right? For the, uh, the work you're reading that script. Are you making notes 
Uh, are you trying to develop in your mind's eye uh, a look? Or are you waiting to talk to the director to have that that kind of a discussion and thought process? Well, I mean, the first time I just read the script and I don't make any notes and I just allow myself to get taken into the world. And then I usually have to read it two more times before I have a meeting. And then I do take notes and I think of films that they remind me of or notes about why I like the characters or how the script inspires me. And then when you meet with a director, they, they often want to know your impression of, of the project and also like doing some research of their previous work and having something to say about that. I'm struck when you meet an actor uh, or are around a cast uh, on a film or a TV series and how obviously different they look in person than they do magically when they're on screen. When you're dealing with actors, how do you assess how to shoot them? Sometimes you're like blown away by actors' performances and and it's really a, like it's almost like a blessing to get a chance to watch them. You're so lucky to be right there in a room and like see a scene acted out. And because oftentimes like the director and I would think, oh, what what are the actors going to do when they're here? But then they show up and they read the words and it really blows you away. So when you look at an actor, you look closely at them and decide this is how I want to shoot them. This is the angle I want to shoot them. Well, also is the director involved in that? Yeah, I think it depends on on the character they're supposed to play and also the tone of the film. On Cheap and Nails, it was dirtier and grittier and intentionally it wasn't the perfect light or I almost wanted so that you wouldn't notice that they were artificially lit like it I wanted it to feel like it was real whereas other films like really call for more attention and like making actors look gorgeous and like soft skin. It's just always different. Our insider today is cinematographer Paula Hidobro. We'll be right back. The Insider Show is made possible through the generous support of Cineonic, providing future-ready technical solutions to cinemas. With more than 100,000 projectors installed, Cineonic now illuminates more than half of the world's cinemas every day. Visit Cineonic.com. Our guest insider today is cinematographer Paula Hidobro, whose new series, Welcome to Chippendales, is available on Hulu. You've worked with Sean Heder and her team for CODA, which won three Academy Awards, including Best Picture. You were working with actors who couldn't hear and depending on using their hands for sign language. And it seemed to me that you shot that differently. I got the sense that it was a key part of how the movie rolled. Could you talk about how that was different? How did you frame those shots differently than you would have normally done it for a, a motion picture? The whole process was pretty different because when you read the script, we would rehearse the scenes and we, we had them interpreters for for the actors because three of the actors were deaf and um, so it, it was like a process of translating back and forth and then when you're framing for them you can't even though you really want to get super close you can't because you have to include the hands because that's like not hearing the words and for Sean it was really important that someone who was deaf could watch the movie and hear it right or understand it. 
And how are you able to communicate with them so that they understood what you're you were trying to accomplish? Well, we, we had four interpreters and I would watch on the monitors, but then sometimes some of the things that they were saying were different than what was written on the script because their language, it, it's not like word for word. It's more like stories, especially the dad. He would add like so much more humor and like layers to what was written on the page. When CODA won the Academy Award, could you have imagined at any time during that process that it would go all the way to the Academy Awards and win three Oscars? Yeah, I mean, it it was quite unexpected to me. I had worked with Sean since I was in film school. We've done like three short films. We did another film that went to Sundance, and then we did a TV show as well. So this was our second film together. And while we were making it, it was quite hard on Sean like she almost had to produce it herself and it was a great experience making it but I did not expect that it would do so well. What is the difference you've done an Academy Award winning motion picture and now you've done an Emmy Award nominated work what is your sense how would you describe the difference between making a feature film with making an episodic series how do you approach them differently or think of them differently? Yeah I mean I think the difference on a feature film is that it's just one director and it's really their project and they have control over what they want and what it should look like. And you just have one person that you connect with. Whereas on television, there's often multiple directors. And then with the first director, you sort of set the look of the show. And then with the directors that come, like you have to sort of keep translating and carrying through the language and then while incorporating what they have to bring so it takes a second to learn each new director so sometimes it can be a little more complicated if you're making a motion picture for a a cinema what does a cinema do for your film that maybe uh, television and people watching at home just can't what what does a theater do i think there's something magical to going to the cinema and taking the time and being there and you cannot go to the bathroom or look at your phone or it really transports you and you take the time to focus on a film when you're there. Whereas where you're at home, you get like constantly interrupted by something and it's not the ideal viewing condition. I think it's just the care that people take when they go to the cinema to watch a film. Paula, you came up through the American Film Institute program and and have really come into a career in Hollywood. Is the Hollywood of today what you uh, thought it would be when you were studying? I went to film school in London first, and I really admired the American film industry, and I really wanted to learn. And and there were so many cinematographers and filmmakers that I wanted to meet. So I thought, oh, I should go to AFI. And AFI is a great film school. Like You get a chance to meet people and I got a chance to intern with Emmanuel Lubezki on Lemony Snickets. I mean, there's so much access to film in Los Angeles and it's really an industry here. When you were starting out, what movies did you see that inspired you to do what you do? I remember the first film I saw that was the first grown-up film was at the the piano when I was in, in New York with my mom. And I was completely blown away by the beauty of it and the feeling. And and I have never seen something like that. 
I started studying photography at like 13, 14, and I would go to film history classes. So when you were studying photography as a teenager, were you imagining yourself as a cinematographer for motion pictures? I mean, I didn't know there was cinematography. So I thought I wanted to be a director, but then very soon I realized that I didn't really want to talk to actors or tell them what to do. I just wanted to imagine the images, and I learned that was what a cinematographer would do. Who are the cinematographers that you admire, that you that you like? I love Robbie Mueller. He did the Paris, Texas, and I, I also, I mean, I also love Roger Deakins for sure, and Harry Sabides. What aspects of what they do do you notice and admire? To me, cinematography is kind of magical because it's it's not something that you can define, and it's something that transports you and makes you connect with the world, and it has a unique perspective and something you can't necessarily describe with words, but you feel it. And I think it adds so much, and the combination of things you can do is endless, and you can always do better. And I think... To me, like they're they're real artists, like Greg Fraser too. I think he's quite inspiring and incredible. Of course, Greg Fraser, uh, the Australian uh, cinematographer on Dune, the Batman, Rogue One. What is it about his work that that inspires you? Sometimes it's like the beauty of the images, and sometimes it's how brave they are that it's actually not beautiful at all. And I think looking for a new way to tell a story, or or even just the right way to tell that specific story. You are working now with Shonda Rhimes. Paula, tell us about that project. It's been quite amazing. It's like a whodunit murder mystery, and it takes place in the White House residence. I think we built the biggest White House set ever. It's a, a bunch of stages at Raleigh. Pretty much all of Raleigh studios are filled with our, our sets, and, and it's just gorgeous. Like They're huge, and completely beautiful and we have 61 cast members so it's like a big ensemble piece like upstairs downstairs drama is there a name to it yet Uh, it's called the falcon for now what do you hope someone who watches one of your projects uh, whether it's chippendales or coda or barry or this uh, falcon what do you want them to say about you and your work after they've seen it I try to blend in into the project. I don't like to be flashy or or to do something that's like technical just for the sake of doing something. Like I, I want it so that when you watch something, you feel the project and like you don't even know how, but it just sort of takes you away into the story. Paula will continue to watch your incredible career and we hope you'll come back and, and join us again. Thank you so much. Our quote of the day comes from writer Javier Griot. He spoke to Variety this week about the role AI may play in writing movies and television. He said, we can be afraid of this technology or we can embrace the fact of the matter. It's moving at the speed of capitalism. The speed of light has nothing on the speed of capitalism. It's compiling things and putting them together in ways that may seem uncanny. The fact of the matter is AI is going to write. So we need to teach people how to use the technology to enable us to make better choices, not to make the choices for us. AI can help us find sources of information we didn't know existed, but it's only as good as who is feeding it what. Thank you, Paula. 
and thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.